It's good stuff. So um, <clears throat> I don't know if this has happened to you, but uh, it, it's funny how it feels like life conspires against us sometimes. Like, I, again, I've experienced this. I'm sure you have. Like, like, have you had the day where you woke up early for work? You know, that's not every day, but it's that one day where, where you, you were up early, you were dressed and ready to go early. You had plenty, you, you weren't just ready on time. You had plenty of extra time. You even left for work early. And it seems like that on those days, somehow there isn't any traffic. Nobody's on the road. There's not a cop in sight. You know, the one day where you have time to kill, you hit a string of nothing but green lights. There's no construction, which is a miracle in this valley right now. And even if there was construction, like they just cleared it up for that day. Like it's just smooth sailing all the way to work. But, but then there's the day where you gotta be there on time, where you slept through your alarm clock, the day where you didn't get up on time, where you, you, you have the presentation or the meeting that's gonna make or break the deal that you're currently, currently working on. And that's the day that when you're heading to work, every single flipping light is red. That's the day there's an officer on every corner and they pull you over talking about you were doing 36 and a 35. You know, you didn't have your mask up. You're like, I'm by myself. I know, but you didn't have your mask up. Like that's the day that there's an accident that closes down your side of the road. That's the day where there's construction on every block. And then you finally get there and you're sweating and you're huffing and puffing. You're trying to go, you're trying to cross the street. And there just happens to be this giant pack of like endangered turtles that are crossing the road. And you're just like, what is happening right now? Just taking their street sweet time. Doesn't it seem like the more urgent the situation, the more you gotta be there, the more interruptions you run into and interruptions are annoying. Or, or maybe you got that friend or that family member. And if you don't know who that friend or family member is, is probably you. But every time you're talking, every time you're telling a story and it's not just any story, you're telling your story. They always feel the need to kind of jump into the middle of it and interrupt you. Like you can be telling your childhood story and they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. When he was five and you're like, you didn't even know me when I was five. What are you talking about? Anybody know those kind of people that they just got to jump in? Like, I'm sorry, was, was you know, the middle of my sentence interrupting the beginning of yours? Like, what, what is wrong with you? Or, or then there's this weird phenomenon that I've experienced as a dad. And if you have kids, maybe you can relate. Whenever I have my day off or I have a chunk of time that's completely free, especially if it's just kind of unexpected where there was nothing happening that day, there's nothing on my calendar, it's totally clear. That is the day for some reason that my kids are totally chill. They're perfectly content. They're completely well-behaved. In fact, some, there's been times where on those days I'll go in and I wanna play with them and I go in like, you know, like I'm a dinosaur and they're like, uh, dad, not today, we just need, we need a little space. We need you to leave us alone. Or I'm like, hey, you guys want to have a pillow fight? You guys always love having pillow fights. They're like, you know what? We're just going to watch Netflix. All right, can you leave us alone? Go back, to the, you know, go back to the show. But then there's those days when I have nothing but work as far as I can see. I'm not, I have so much to do. My day is jam-packed. There's meeting after meeting and Zoom meeting. Those, tends the day, those tend to be the days where all of a sudden, my two boys need my undivided attention. Every two minutes, daddy, 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 daddy. You're like, what? Do you like what I built? Whew. Okay, yes. 
I have to do this work now. Daddy, 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 daddy. I'm working. What do you need? Can I have a piece of gum? You interrupted me to ask me for a piece of gum. I told you I was working. I know, but I really want a piece of gum. Like, what is wrong with you? On a Zoom call, and they're like, like, what's going on? It's just my kid being a dinosaur. Get out of here. Like, it's crazy how when your day is full and busy, that's the day that they want to come in and interrupt me. And honestly, it's worse. It's worse for Hansi because how many mamas know kids are, like, they know how to interrupt their moms way more than their dads. They will walk straight past dad if mom is available and go bother mom. Isn't it true that your family, your husband, your wife, your kids and parents and siblings, isn't it true that family is both the best part of life and along comes with it some of the most challenging parts of life? I love and marriage and relationships and kids and brothers and sisters. It's all amazing, but they're also sometimes really maddening. I saw a meme this week that kind of made me chuckle a little bit. I thought it was perfect for family month. So I, I screen grabbed it and brought it as this kid wrote a letter to God. Dear God, I bet it is very hard for you to love all of, all of everybody in the whole world. There are only four people in my family and I can never do it. Like, isn't that the truth? Like, you're just like, all right, I can love three of you, but one of you is constantly on my nerves and it's a different person all the time. But one of the things that makes it so challenging is that obviously we have all of our own personalities, but we also have our own agendas and pressures and, and, and demands and preferences and priorities. And to be honest, the, the way that we feel most of the time is like, it's fine for you to have your own preferences and your priorities, as long as your preferences and your priorities don't interrupt or undermine my preferences and my priorities. I mean, that's how we think. Like, I'm cool with you being different. I'm cool with you having your own thing. I'm cool with you having your own agenda. I'm cool with you being your own person as long as you don't mess up my world and my agenda and my thing. But that's the problem. It's because we have different personalities and priorities and preferences that we have completely different expectations for ourselves and of one another and how things are gonna go in a given situation. And, and, and the truth is everything is good as long as the, everything kind of goes how we expect them to go. The problem is, is they almost never do. And usually when things don't go how we thought they were going to go, it's because someone else is do, isn't doing what we told them to do, or someone else isn't doing what we expected them to do, which is pretty crazy because you're just like, if you would have just done what you were supposed to do, then you wouldn't be messing up my thing. Because nobody likes it when their plan falls apart. Nobody signs up for unexpected interruptions and detours. Nobody's like, yeah, just bring it on. Nobody is getting in line for family to disappoint them. The truth is there's something inside of us that gets upset and angry, kind of fills up with angst and anxiety when our experience, when what we are experiencing with our family in our life falls short of the expectations that we had and what we thought was going to happen. Because there's something that kind of gets worked up and stressed out and even ticked off at times when what we expected to happen, when what we wanted to happen, when what we thought how it was going to go gets blown up. Unmet expectations are constantly messing with us in our lives. They're constantly messing with our closest relationships. They're constantly messing up our family. They're constantly doing damage to the relationships we have with the people who are closest to us. And so there's a story in the life of Jesus that involved two sisters uh, where this very thing happened. So I wanted to take a minute. We're gonna read through this story and kind of pull out some of the stuff that was happening. And Jesus was kind of involved right in the middle of it um, and, and, and see if we can begin to learn how we can navigate those situations a little bit better. So it's found in Luke chapter 10, 
beginning with verse 38. It says this, it says, as Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home and her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what Jesus taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner that she was preparing. So we're going to read where this story goes here in just a second, but I wanted to pause um, because there's a lot kind of that's being said and a lot that was happening that wasn't being said. So Jesus had different relationships with different people. He had tons of fans, people that had heard about his miracles, people that had heard about the things that he was doing, people that had heard how he had fed people, people that had heard that he had healed people, people that had seen it. And, they, and so there was this constant crowd that would gather wherever he went. If people just they wanted to see what is he gonna do next? Is this really the guy? Is he truly the Messiah? What's going on? So there's constant buzz. So he had a ton of fans and he had lots of followers, people that moved past that and they had heard him teach and they were like, this, is, this guy, this isn't just like some new exciting thing. This guy is worth following. So I'm gonna follow him. And, and so he had lots of followers, which included his closest followers, which were the disciples. But, but besides his fans, besides his followers, he only actually had a few friends. And Martha and Mary and their brother Lazarus were actually some of Jesus's closest friends. And so Jesus and his disciples, his 12, they're all on their way to Jerusalem. They're all traveling to the city of Jerusalem. And Jesus, while they're on their way, he decides he's gonna take a little bit of a detour and stop off in this village where Martha and Mary and Lazarus live because they were his friends. He wanted to just stop off at his friend's house. And he wasn't going there to teach necessarily. He wasn't going there to heal anybody or to do ministry. He was going there just to kind of chill and hang out with people that he loved. And the problems start right away because as far as we can tell, and based on the story, it doesn't look like it was a planned visit. So Jesus and his crew just roll up to Martha's house completely unannounced. Have you ever had family or friends drop in and you're just like, hey, what are you doing here? We're so happy you came. Or they call you and they're like, you're like, hey, I haven't talked to you in so long. What's up? And they're like, we was hoping you was home because we're right around the corner. And you're like, what? You shouldn't have. Really? Just go away. So they roll up to Martha's house. And I just kind of imagine like Mary and Martha, they're just kind of hanging at home. And it's one of those lazy days. It's the afternoon, but they're still in their pajamas. They got the blinds in the front of the house closed. They don't want people looking in. They're just laying on the couch, kind of binging forensic files on Netflix. And then ding dong. Martha looks at Mary like, you expecting somebody? No, I'm not expecting anybody. Are you expecting anybody? And Martha's like, girl, look at my hair. No, I'm not expecting anybody. Look at this house. It looks like World War III in here. That cereal bowl, I think has been there since last month. No, I'm not expecting anybody. Go look at the ring camera. Look at the ring camera. See who it is. Mary opens the ring and she's like, oh, it's Jesus. Yeah, it's Jesus. Oh no, it's Jesus. Is who? Is he by himself? Uh, no. They all with him? Yes, all. What? No, 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 no. Have you ever had that habit where you're just like, what is going on? Why are all these people showing up? I don't want to do this right now. I can't help but imagine, like that's a little bit of the energy that I think this moment, this is happening at the beginning of this moment. And while Mary and Martha are both kind of, it seems like they're caught off guard, 
their perceptions about the situation and what's gonna happen and how it's all gonna unfold is, is I think is totally different. Like, I, I think like us, their minds are kind of, you know, start spinning. And, and I, I kind of imagine that Mary's a little bit excited. I, I think she's like, man, we haven't seen Jesus in forever. He always tells the best stories. Like I haven't laughed as hard as I laughed the last time he was here. Like, this is gonna be awesome. But Martha's like, oh my God, please, Lord. What, I gotta clean the house. I need to make dinner. Wait, I don't even think we have enough food to feed all these people. Where's everybody gonna sleep? Who's gonna clean up later after we all party? Like what is happening? And they, so they were doing what we would do in this situation. They're processing a million feelings and thoughts about what's happening and what's gonna happen and what their expectations are. They're having all these internal conversations about how it's gonna look and how it's gonna unfold. And, and as they, you know, they're both surprised, they're both, this unexpected thing happens. They both start kind of, piecing together the expectations about how it's gonna go, right? And we all have expectations, which is just kind of an emotionally charged anticipation that something is gonna happen a certain way. That expectation can be positive. That expectation can be negative. Like some of us, most of our expectations are negative. My wife has a a mantra in her life. She's like, expect things to go bad and you will never be disappointed. Like that that is her expectations always. Like it's just gonna be terrible. It's gonna be lame. It's gonna be bad. And then I will never be let down. And I'm like, well, that's one way to live your life. All right, I, I don't know. That's not me. But we all anticipate how things are gonna go and what it's gonna be like. And like us, Mary and Martha, their expectations are shaped by their experiences by their personalities. And the funny thing about expectations is that they're so obvious to us that most of the time we don't even think to say them, to voice them, to to, to tell people about them. Because in our minds, we don't consciously think this, but it just kind of happens. Like like if we were to say it out loud, we would think, of course, they're going to see this situation the way I'm seeing it. Because it's not like I'm trying to see it this way. It's just obvious this is the way that it is. And so Mary and Martha see what's happening completely different. They step into this moment in completely different ways and they do things completely differently when Jesus and his disciples show up at their house. Mary ends up sitting at the feet of Jesus. Meanwhile, Martha is busy in the kitchen, frantically making dinner. And if you can't feel the tension in that moment, it's because you don't have a sister. So look at what happens. Verse 40. It says Martha was distracted by the big dinner that she was preparing. And so she came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits there while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. So Martha's in the kitchen making dinner. They're all sitting in the living room over there and Mary's sitting on the floor at the feet of Jesus and she's just laughing and listening. And Martha, I just, Martha, Martha picture she's looking out over the, the counter, over the, you know, she's looking in there every couple of minutes. She's mumbling to herself. She's just angry, right? And, and she's, as she sees Mary sitting over there at the feet of Jesus, she's not thinking like, oh man, how cool is that? That Mary gets to sit there with Jesus and just have a little bit of downtime. I'm so happy for her. No, no, no. That's not what she said. Have you ever cooked angry? Like, have you ever been in the kitchen and you're just like, these stupid people, I'll make them some food. Or you do that thing where you're so mad you communicate by slamming like cabinet doors in your kitchen, but then they got like the soft close thing and you're trying to slam and it won't close and that makes you mad and you're like kicking it. I'm just imagining that would happen. I've never actually... 
Then they, are, are you like so angry? You're just over there silently doing the dishes. You're just like, this is stupid. You're just banging stuff around. I, I think that's what Martha, I just imagine like that was Martha. She's in the kitchen. She's making dinner and she's not happy. She's mumbling about how unfair it is. She's mocking her sister's laugh. Mary's laughing. <laughs> she's, like, <laughs> she's like, she's all ticked off at her sister, right? And the longer it goes, the madder she gets until she can't deal with it anymore. She can't do it anymore. She's had enough. She's got to speak up. She's got to say something. She's so upset. She doesn't care what Jesus is doing or saying in that moment. She just busts in and interrupts. And everything that she's thinking, everything that she's feeling, all of her expectations, they come spilling out. But thankfully, like she's, you know, <clears throat> she's smart enough to go like, okay, this is Jesus. I can't just like bust in there and just unload. So she's just like, um, Jesus, doesn't it seem unfair to you? Because I think it feels a little unfair to me that my lazy sister, like you know, she's just trying to hold back. See, we're not always aware, but everybody, all of us live by a set of rules that is known to us, but almost never spoken to other people. You have rules that you live by about what you do in your life, about how your family works, about how the towels get folded, about what happens in the day, about what the schedule is like, about who, where you shop and the kind of food you, you have very specific set of rules that you inherited that you probably like, but most of the time, nobody knows those rules except for you until somebody close to you breaks one of those unspoken rules, then you're gonna get a little bit more vocal about the unspoken rules that they didn't know existed, but now they broke one, and so you're gonna let them know. And so I think Martha has some rules. And Mary is walking all over them. And so Martha says to Jesus, Jesus, don't you see how unfair this is? Don't you care that I'm doing all the work. I'm in the kitchen slaving over dinner while she and her lazy self is just sitting there. Tell her to get up and help me. She's trying to pull Jesus into a family issue, right? Have you ever had that awkward moment where you're hanging out at someone's house and they try to pull you into the middle of a family issue to get you to give your opinion on some disagreement that they're having? You know, talking about like, don't you think he should? And you're just like, look, I gotta be honest. I just came over because you said there was tri-tip. Like, I don't want to get involved. Just serve the dinner. I, I have no opinion here whatsoever. See, Martha's so upset. She's so fed up. She's trying to boss Jesus around. She said, you need to tell her to help me. Have you ever gotten so mad? Have you ever gotten so codependent, so controlling that you start trying to tell God what he needs to do with somebody else? And I know, I know we, we try to act like those of us, you know, if you're a follower of Jesus, we try to act like it's all spiritual. Like I pray for them every day, but you know, your prayer is not like that God would bless them. Your prayer is that God would fix them. God, you know, he need to get up and get a job and stop taking a, you know, bless him with some ambition, Lord, so he can stop taking advantage of his family. Like that's not a prayer. Like you're not praying for him. You're trying to tell God how to control and fix him. And so that's what Martha's doing. Jesus Tell her, fix her. She is doing this wrong. This moment, she has, do you not see what's happening? Watch how Jesus responds. The Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you're worried and upset over all these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it and it will not be taken away from her. Wait a minute, what? That is not what Martha expected Jesus to say. But Jesus is so compassionate. 
in this moment. And he's like, Martha, look, why are you so worried? Why are you so upset about all these details? So I don't know what you're like, but I am not a details person. My wife is the details person in our family. I am not a details. In fact, the number one question she asks me on a regular basis is, what's your plan? I'm like, I do not have a plan. I have never had a plan. My plan is to not have a plan. I don't do details. And when I read this, I was like, Jesus is one of my people. So when she asked me that, I'm just be like, Hansi, why are you worried and upset about all these details? We don't need to worry about the details, all right? Okay, so <laughs> before we get to the payoff of the story, though, let me tell you what this message isn't, right? This message is not Mary's good and Martha's bad. I- I've been in church a long time. I've heard the story a lot. I've heard a lot of pastors talk about this story. And a lot of times this story is used to beat Martha up. But could I just be honest for a moment? Do you know where the world would be without Martha's? Like, it's easy to be Mary when you ain't Martha. Martha is a girl that had it going on. Martha was a widow, but she was a homeowner, and she was still out there making it do what it do. Martha, it was Martha's house. It wasn't Mary's house. It wasn't Lazarus's house. Mary and Lazarus were just freeloading off their sister Martha. It's easy to be Mary when you ain't the one paying the mortgage. It's easy to be Mary when you ain't the one paying the light bill. So I want to take a second and say to all the Marys in the house, shout out to you. Shout out to the people who show up and do stuff and get it done. Think about you and your life. I guarantee you, you are benefiting in your life right now from a Martha. Martha's hold it down. Martha's are the ones that you want in your group when you do a group project at school because if you get in a group and you find out they're all Marys, you're in trouble. You are definitely gonna fail if you're in a group with all Marys. But Martha's are like, look, I got this. I'll do all the work. Y'all put your names on the end. We'll get an A. You're like, you are my girl right there. Like, can we be in every class together? See, this ain't a message to hate on the Martha's. I'm married to a Martha, okay? Martha's are just out there flat out getting it done. And I'll just say this about our church. Our church, like we, I don't know where we would be in our church if it wasn't for the Marthas, if it wasn't for the ladies who show up and get stuff done. We have a bunch of guys that come and roll out and unload the truck, but I'm telling you, this church works because there are Marthas who show up and make it happen. But I want you to notice something. Nobody told Martha that she had to do the things that she was doing which is a blessing and a curse if you're a Martha, right? Because nobody's got to tell you dinner's got to get made. You just know if I don't do it, ain't nobody doing it, ain't nobody eating, right? And so I just got to get in there and get it done. But nobody told Martha to make dinner. See, so often we're overwhelmed because of all the things that we're doing, all the things that we told ourselves that we have to do. I have to do this. I have to go here. I have to do this for them. This is the other thing. But can I tell you that I have to is almost never true. I have to is usually our baggage and our fear keeping us from saying no when we could and sometimes when we probably should say no. It never occurred to Martha that she didn't have to be the one to do what she's doing, that she didn't have to be the one to take care of everybody. She didn't have to be the one to make this huge meal. 
for 13 hungry guys. I think part of the reason why it never occurred to her is because she was just thinking, this is what love would do. And this is Jesus and he's my friend, but he's also God. And so I'm going to do this for him and I love them. And so this is what love would do. And I, and I love them. So I'm going to do this. And besides, if I don't do it, who's going to do it? It never occurred to her that Jesus, just a short time before this, fed thousands of people with a couple of fish and a few loaves of bread. He probably could have handled dinner for everybody. See, it's the relationship you have with yourself. It's the conversation that's going on inside of you that sets the standard for every other relationship and every other conversation that you will have in your life. Those internal conversations will eventually spill out in the way that you live and the way that you treat the people around you. We actually, I think, like, I think Martha actually loved cooking. I think she loved hosting. I think she loved serving. But she just didn't expect to be doing it on this day for this group of people in this place and doing it alone. And so instead of like stepping back and trying to figure out whether or not she needs to do this, instead of having a conversation with her sister, she's so focused on what Mary isn't doing that it completely sucked the joy out of the thing that she normally loved to do. See, I think part of what Jesus is saying is like, look, Martha, the issue isn't what you're doing. The issue is the way in which you're doing it. Because when he said to her, Martha, you're, you're upset and you're worked up and, and you, don't need to, you don't need to be. See, I think if Martha was in there and she was just making it spin and she's doing it and she's singing and she's whistling and, she, and it, she's, it's filling her up to be doing it, th- I don't think anybody would have been like, Martha, get out of the kitchen. I think Jesus would have been like, get it, girl. But he's like, no, but you're in there doing something you hate and you don't want to do. And it's like, why are you doing all that? See, so often it's our obsession with you know, in Martha's case, it was her obsession with controlling what Mary was doing that was keeping her from being able to connect with and enjoy the experience of being around Jesus. See, Martha wanted Jesus to confront her sister, but Jesus saw this as an opportunity for Martha to confront herself. And I think it's the same way with us. Our disappointments, our frustrations are always opportunities for growth. The mistake we make is that we think that our, our frustration and our disappointment is an opportunity for them to grow so they can stop frustrating us and disappointing us. But in this story, it's as if Jesus is saying, yeah, that all that disappointment, all that frustration, this is an opportunity for you to grow, Martha. This is not about Mary. This is about you. Now, if I'm being honest, and maybe, maybe you can relate a, bit, a little bit, like there are times where I just want Jesus' help to help me make the people that I love into who I think they should be. I mean, they're awesome, God, the way you made them. Could you just fix them, though? But just like in this story, Jesus doesn't really seem to be all that interested in talking to me about other people. Instead, the person he wants to talk to the most with me about is me. It's hard for us to see, but in almost all of our relationships, 
It's not that one person is healthy and the other person is unhealthy. And that's usually the way we approach conflict. And, you know, when there's something wrong, there's a problem. It's like, I'm over here just doing what I'm supposed to be doing, being the good person, being the good husband, being the good brother, whatever. And you're just over there with your problems and your attitude and you're doing, you're just being unhealthy. And I'm not most of the time. And there are times when that is the case, but most of the time that's not, it's just that both people are imperfect. And you're imperfect in ways that grates on the other person. In Ephesians chapter four, verse two and three, the apostle Paul speaks into our relationships and he writes these words. He says, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Now, the Apostle Paul didn't write these to family, write this to a family. He wrote this to a church, though. And if he said these things, and this was the standard, and these are the things that he was saying that we should be doing when it comes to the way that we relate to each other, when it comes to us as a faith community and a church family, how much more should we grab onto these things and begin to live them out in our own families with the people that God has given to us and entrusted to us to love and to raise and to cherish? And to take care of. And so he says, be humble and gentle and patient. And when you think about the story of Martha and Mary, Martha wasn't exactly oozing any of those things in that moment. Because her attitude was, I'm right, you're wrong, Jesus tell her. And that's usually how we engage conflict, right? That's usually how we engage when we're upset or when something unexpected happens or when our expectation didn't get met. I'm right, you're wrong. God, you handle it from here. What happens to all of us is when they don't meet our expectations, our pride kicks in. And the problem with pride is that it distorts reality. It keeps us from being able to see actually really clearly them and us. So I don't think it's an accident that the Apostle Paul said, always be humble and gentle. And how often does he say that we should respond with humility and gentleness and patience? Most of the time, unless they really let you down? No, he says always. Always. But you don't understand always. You mean even if Always, yep, in every situation, without exception. And, and then he says this phrase where he says, make allowances for each other's faults. Why? Because that's what love would do. What an incredible, just powerful, like nitty gritty, down to earth, very practical reality of how to deal with people that you're different from. Make allowances for them to just be a broken, messy human being. I think if he was writing this today, he would say, look, Put up with them because after all, they be putting up with you. You think you're easy to live with? <laughs> Usually when husbands and wives will come and sit down with me and talk to me about and they're having an issue in their family or their marriage and they're trying to work through it, and, you know, and sometimes it's just simple stuff. Sometimes it's things are not great and they're at the very end. And, you know, part of the conversation I usually have is like, you guys really, you want to, you want to, you want to start over? You found a human being who will put up with you. How many of those people you think are out there? 
You think it's going to be easier to go out there and find somebody? When you found somebody right here, yeah, she's not perfect. Yeah, he's not perfect. Yeah, there's some mess you got to figure out. All that stuff's real, but you think that's going to be easy? You got to choose your heart, and trust me, this is an easier heart than that. He says, make every effort to stay united and connected, bound together with peace. Like all of these imperatives, what? Make every effort. I mean, that's a pretty high bar. I mean, if I'm just being honest, and I think I'm pretty good at most of this stuff, like I make some effort and then call it good. I make some effort and it's like, it doesn't seem like you're making a lot of effort. So now it's your turn. But he's saying being united, being connected, being unified and building a family that's bound together with peace and that's filled with love, that doesn't just happen. That takes effort. That takes energy. That takes work. That takes initiative. That takes every effort. By the way, in the story of Mary and Martha, did you notice that Martha never once told Mary what she wanted from her or was expecting from her? She never was like, all right, look, you go get them in the door, get them seated and then join me in the kitchen. When she was cooking, she never came out and was like, hey, Mary, um, I, I, could you just join me in the kitchen? You brown the meat, I got the noodles. Like she never says any of that. And when we don't communicate what we're expecting, I mean, talk about a recipe for disaster, but we do it all the time to people that we love, right? I mean, the truth is that unspoken expectations are just resentments that are waiting to happen because they will happen. Because it always leads to magical thinking. We do this in our families, right? Especially, especially husbands and wives. It tends to happen a little more there. But you know, you know, when you do it to your kids, it's, it's a little easier you know, because you're the boss and they're not. But, but we have this magical thinking where we say, I shouldn't have to ask them. They should just know. If they loved me, they would know, right? And you want them to walk in and look at that pile of laundry and think about it the same way that you think about it, but they don't. You look at it and you're just like, okay, I got to sort it out. You start in your mind. like, They look, oh, this is a cool place to take my dirty clothes off. I'll just put those there, right? But when we think, oh, they shouldn't have to ask them or we say that, they should just know. That's just, that's magical thinking. They don't know. They're not you. They don't read minds. They're not looking at that pile of dishes or that pile of laundry or anything the way that you are. Have you ever gone to a restaurant and yelled at a server for not bringing you a meal you didn't order? If you are, you are crazy. And we, that's a different message. But we do it all the time in relationships. You can't expect to be served something that you never ordered to begin with. And yet we all just like, you should just know what I like how I want it. And it's back to those unspoken rules that we all have. And Paul, the apostle Paul says, make every effort. I'm not sure, but I think that probably includes being willing to at least say out loud what you expect. Because right? we get to the place where it's like, well, if I got to tell you, I'll just do it myself. It's not, <laughs> it's not making a lot of effort. What else can we do? What else would it look like for you and me to step into our families and make allowances for the differences and the faults of the people that we love? What, what would it look like to make every effort to stay united and bound together in peace? Well, I think there's a million things we could talk about, but I wrote down a few that I felt like, I was like, okay, this, I think if I worked at this, this would help me. And so I hope it helps you. If it doesn't, too bad, it helps me. 
Well, the first one I thought about was like just to stop moralizing preferences. Because isn't it true that when we prefer something, it's not just what we prefer, it's the right way. I prefer this because it's the right way. And any way other than my way is the wrong way. You have just made a moral issue out of something that's just your preference. And if you're a follower of Jesus, we even take this a step further. We don't just moralize our preferences. We spiritualize them where it's just like, this isn't just what I like. This isn't just what's right. God agrees with me. And God's like, no, I don't. (laughs) Don't be so rigid. When it comes to our expectations, most of the time, there's not right or wrong. There's just different. Of course, you have to have standards and you got to have ways that your family has ways you're going to do things. But, but I think so often we step into situations where like the question is like, like, what if you're both right, right? And the only wrong thing is expecting them to be you. Stop moralizing your preferences. Release the, and secondly is release them to just be a different human being from you. You can't control them anyway, so set them free to be who they are. And honestly, when you do, you'll be amazed at how much less offended and angry and anxious you'll be when you just allow people to be who they are. See, grace is somebody knowing you and somebody seeing the real you and loving you anyways. Grace is you knowing and seeing the real them and not looking at them through the lens of you or who you want them to be, but you looking at them, the real them and loving them anyway. That's grace. Set them free. And then finally, I was like, I think I'm going to do this because I always just assume the people in my life know what I think about them and how I feel about them and the things that I, because I'm pretty verbal anyway, but I thought, what, what if I sat down and told people, told the people that, I was, that are closest to me that I love the most this week, one thing about them and I'm so glad that they're different from me. What, what if I thought about it and identified and then celebrated the dif- differentness of everybody in my family? What if you did that? Can you imagine how powerful and life-giving that would be? Oh, they no, no, they don't. Because most of the time, the differences elicit annoyance and frustration from you, not celebration. Can you imagine how life-giving that would be for your parents if you're a kid? For your kids if you're a parent? For your spouse? For your siblings? I mean, when I was a kid, I can't think of anything more uncomfortable than if my parents made me tell my brother how awesome it is that he's different from me, but how powerful that would be. They don't already know but you can tell them. Finally, sometimes we expect things from certain people or from certain situations that they're not capable of or they're not equipped to or don't have the ability to give us. I, I, I love nachos. I don't go to Chinese restaurants and try to order them though because I would be very, very disappointed they don't have the ingredients. They don't have, to, as much as nacho, you need a recipe for nachos, they don't have the recipe. They don't, maybe not even have the tools necessary to cook the meat the way that it would be for nachos. 
You, you can't expect to be served something that's not even on the menu. And sometimes we go to people in our lives and we keep going back to the same relationship, wanting something, requesting something, expecting to receive something from that relationship that that person either in this season or just in general is not capable or unwilling to give us. And so we keep placing an order for things that are not on the menu and then wondering why they don't deliver. Sometimes the weight that we put on each other, sometimes the weight that we put on the, the relationship, like, like the relationship, those people, they were never meant to carry that weight. I, I think that's why Jesus said what he said about the difference between Martha and Mary. And he looked at her and he said, there, there's only one thing worth being concerned about right now, Martha, and Mary's actually discovered it. And that's that you connect with me. That's that you step into relationship with me. Because in the end, the most painful way to kill any relationship is to expect to get from that person what you can only get from God. A couple of weeks ago, I was listening to um, a doctor, Les Parrott. He's a relationship expert, him and his wife. And he said something that struck me. He said, when you begin to try to establish intimacy with another person before you are healed and whole as an individual, every relationship in your life will become an attempt to heal yourself. He's like, people do that to their spouse. They do that to their kids. They do that to their parents. They do that. When we enter into relationships with each other and we're not whole and we have all this baggage and we have all this stuff and codependent like those relationships ultimately end up just being an, an effort for us to heal ourselves it's not what we intend but we end up using those relationships to make ourselves better and make ourselves whole and jesus is saying the only way that's going to happen martha Mar mary can't fix you mary can't fix this for you y you need to connect with me and maybe that's the best place for us to end is that no matter what's going on in your family, no matter what's going on with your kids or with your parents, no matter what's going on with you and your spouse, if you're married, is that the one that you need the most time with, the one relationship that you maybe need to step into or lean into is the one with the God who created you, with your heavenly father who loves you, who knows you, who sees you. Because the one who loves you, the one who knows you best loves you most. Let's pray together.